0: Thank you for joining us today for the Fair Philosophy podcast. We're going to be talking about everything related to fair trade fashion, including sustainability, ethics, human trafficking, our art artisans, and keeping kids in school. My name is Jackie Costello, and I own the Golden World Boutique, an all-fair trade boutique based in San Diego. My co-host is Jen Parlin, and she is a fair trade partner with Threads Worldwide based in Connecticut.
1: In this episode, we are chatting with Shannon Keith, founder of Sudara. Shannon has many insights on how to stay motivated when things go wrong and has a huge why for being involved with fair trade. We know you're going to love this episode and Shannon. Hi Shannon. We Hi. are so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to spend a little bit of your day with us. Um, And we'd just love for you to, you know, introduce yourself in your own words and just for people that, you know,
2: aren't familiar with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jen and Jackie, for having me. It's a pleasure to have this conversation with you ladies, and thanks for doing cool stuff. My name is Shannon Keith, and I'm the CEO founder of Sudara, and we are a certified benefit corporation that exists to help create pathways of freedom for women and their children out of the brothels of India. So tackling um, the sex trade industry head on and doing that through dignified work, job training and creation and placement so that women can, um, you know, do something other than sell their bodies to provide for themselves and their families. And so we basically have a really fun, easy to love line of pajamas and loungewear. Um, for the whole family. But our target demographic is women who care about the issues and want to use her purchasing power to make a difference in the world. And so we sell online at Sudara.org and in some boutiques as well. So yeah, we're pretty excited about um, yeah, using business as a force for good.
0: So cool. Um, since you mentioned a B Corp, um, maybe our listeners may not know what that is. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Yeah. A benefit corporation is a fairly new designation by the IRS that puts um, social or environmental impact sort of on par with profitability. And um, prior to this, really, it was only shareholder value that defined um, a business And as I think many of us can agree, maybe not all of us um, can agree that that has been really bad for our planet and for employees and for lots of of different things. If you think about the Enron scandals and, you know, just crazy corporate greed um, that happens, a lot of it is because it was really all geared towards maximizing shareholder profitability at the expense of everything else. And so really this helps right the ship. And that it says, no, if you can point out in your bylaws that um, your business does exist to help with um, environmental or social injustices that are happening, that's sort of on par with profitability. So, for instance, a board couldn't come and unseat the CEO um, just because they felt like they weren't being as profitable as possible if they could say, well, we are being profitable and we're creating this sort of impact so you can't just unseat me because you want to get cheaper stuff made out of XYZ countries so that you get more profits. Um, So it's a really good trend um, that's happening. And again, um, it could be both for environmental and social issues um, that businesses are tackling.
0: Wow, that is so cool. And that is such a clear explanation of what it was. I love that um, you you were saying that They couldn't just come in and sweep you out because of cheaper products. So that's...
2: that's And that's happened in the past. I mean, it sounds like, oh, who would do that? That's an extreme (laughs) case. But it (laughs) it definitely happens. Um, And so it also gives consumers confidence that businesses are running in an ethical way. Because marketing can say whatever you want. But um, to be a benefit corporation, you have to have a third-party certification to come in and say, no, they're actually doing what they're saying they're doing, and we take audits, and we're the ones who give them um, the, the seal of approval. And so it's a really great way for consumers, I would just encourage listeners out there to start looking and asking your favorite brands about um, you know, their business practices and if they would consider becoming a benefit corporation and, and all of
0: that. Yeah, yeah. I love tactical things that consumers do. Um, Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear your personal journey on how you got involved. I mean, we love, you know, what the business is, but how did you get
2: involved? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It's been, you know, I think nothing is linear, right? And so it's always kind of a winding journey that leads us to where we need to be. Mm -hmm. And that's definitely Mm -hmm. been the case for me. Um, I have always had, I think, a heart for the poor and the underdog, you know, and the underserved, that kind of thing. I think everyone loves like a comeback story. Um, and and that's always been my heart. Um, even in high school, I remember volunteering for adults um, with mental disabilities and that sort of thing. and so I, I've just always had a heart towards those populations who are amazing and awesome but don't have equal opportunity. And really, you know, in this day and age, we talk about privilege, right? Those that have been less privileged. So um, that heart led me to travel to various places, even throughout college, Um, you know, took uh, three months and went to Nigeria, West Africa, I thought I was going to be a doctor kind of in the bush of Africa. I I realized that I didn't have the stomach for the medical field, but I really fell in love with the people and the issues there. And Interestingly enough, even um, started working with some women in some brothels um, teaching literacy because Nigeria was also um, a, a colony, you know, and so they spoke English as a lot of other tribal languages, too. But as it is, a lot of the poor are uneducated and illiterate anyway long story short, um, had started on a path even there looking back like, wow, even then right out of college, I was working with women out of prostitution. That's so wild, you know, but I don't think that that was an accident. (laughs) And I think that there's been a divine thread through my life that has kind of led me towards different experiences. Um, But then, you know, shortly after that, right out of college, I was like, okay, wow, I don't want to go to medical school anymore. So what am I going to do? And so I got a job in corporate sales. I needed to pay back Student loans and start, you, know, paying for my own life and, and all of that, and did that, and excelled um, sort of at, in the sales field, but I was just unfulfilled, and I just um, was always wanting to do things with a higher purpose and calling. And my husband um, was in nonprofit work, he had worked for churches and other things, and so we would go on sort of you know service trips, or we'd volunteer in our community with the homeless, and there was always sort of that thing. And through um, travels with our church, I went to India for the first time in 2004, fell in love with it. The people went back in 2005 and that's where I was introduced to, um, this idea of human and sex trafficking at the time that wasn't on anyone's radar or in the vernacular. That was almost 15 years ago. And so nobody was talking about it in those terms. So I was like, what's going on? How are these women and children in this situation? How do they not have people to help? And then learning, you know, in India, um, there aren't the same safety nets that we have here in the U.S. So if you think about, you know, if my children and I were in that situation, if I didn't have family, let's say I was an orphan or grew up in foster care and I got married and my husband died or whatever – there are other safety nets besides family that I might have. I might be able to get on welfare. I might, for a short term, get back on my feet. I might be able to get food stamps to feed my children. I wouldn't necessarily have to take the leap and start selling my body to provide for us, you know, um, but that's not the case in India. There, you can't just get welfare checks and get on food stamps and sort of like a system that helps you get back on your feet. That doesn't exist. And so I was horrified by that. And it really was about, okay, well, if they don't want to sell their bodies, they need an income. Like, how are they going to get an income? Um, there many are illiterate and uneducated. So it's not that easy just to get a job when you don't have an education and you can't read or write. Um, so it is really all about hands-on vocational training. And so that's what led me to think like, well, I have the sales background. That's a skill set that I bring to the table. If they could make something, I could potentially sell it even just to my friends and family start small and, and kind of go from there. And so that's what we did. Um, started a nonprofit, actually. So the roots of Sudara are in a nonprofit. We still have that 501c3 called Sudara Freedom Fund. Um, and yeah, we, we have the same exact mission. It really is all about helping women and children um, stand on their own two feet through job creation. So that was the path. It's, it's been um, an adventure for sure. Um, not easy um, at all, but... Most things in life worth having, you know, take a lot of good hard work.
0: Absolutely. So um, so just to jump back, so you're not a nonprofit anymore, but you still have that nonprofit side?
2: Yes. So we're a B Corp, right? So that's a for-profit entity. Although I believe that B Corp nonprofits can also become B Corps. There's some interesting, um, you know, kind of overlays around that. So we have a a for-profit B Corp entity, and then we have a nonprofit 501c3 entity. And they work hand in hand. Okay.
0: So um, is the uh, 501c3 still doing the same thing that it was doing before?
2: Yeah, it has the exact same mission. um, But it can really focus, whereas before everything was housed under the 501c3. So running the business, doing this, but also, um, you know, helping with the wraparound services, right? Because as you can imagine, women and children in this situation have a lot of needs and And a job is a major one and kind of like a baseline. But beyond that, they have emotional needs. You know, um, they're highly sexually traumatized. So they have all of these other needs that a job alone cannot provide for. And so the nonprofit can really help um, with our nonprofit partners in India with a lot of those wraparound services, be it housing or scholarships for kids' school or, you know, medical procedures if if they're not medically insured, you know, all of those sort of
0: things. Wow. Amazing, you have a lot on your plate
2: <laughs> <laughs> an amazing team you know um, it's we all do it together i'm just one part of a, of a bigger team that's for sure. very
1: cool. Wow. you just mentioned like so many different things in that one little conversation <laughs> with sex trafficking and just like life um, in a developing country and the difference between you know what we have here for resources and Versus what they have available. We could probably talk about that just for hours. <laughs> but um, back to, you know, Sidara and kind of the beginning, did you start the company with someone or was it kind of a solo venture?
2: You know, uh, it's like, yes, and both, right? It was sort of a solo venture where I really just had the download that I feel like was like divine inspiration of like, okay, this is what I could do. And literally to the product and pajamas, like, mm-hmm. and, and thinking about exactly what it could be. But then of course, um, right away, it was like, okay, let's chat with my husband about it. He's supportive. So we bought a bunch of um, fabric that I then got, went and brought home. And then it was turning to girlfriends who had a similar heart and passion to say, this is what my idea is. What do you think, Um, you know, other advisors, older people who had been in the business field, like I'd never done anything like this. What should we do? And they help. And back then, again, there wasn't a B Corp and there was no like Tom Shoes, like all of these social businesses hadn't started yet. So there was no Mm. framework for it. So it was like, oh, if you want to help people, you should start a nonprofit. That's what nonprofits do. So right away, then they like helped me form and were members. <laughs> excuse me of the board of the nonprofit. So it quickly became kind of a team effort. But I, I was definitely the, um, I guess the spark <laughs> that, that started, and you know, and had the idea down to the product. It wasn't like we got in a group like, huh, what should we have them make? You know, it wasn't like that. It was like, okay, this is what I think. What do you think? How should we do this? And then others definitely came alongside to help.
1: That's awesome. wow. Very cool.
0: Um, so how did you, I, I love to hear like the, the little things, like how did you make the direct connections to start working with the women in India? I know that you went there and saw what was going on, but how did you like a you know, co-op or what happened? Yeah,
2: you? it's a great question. Cause it can be, you know, fairly complicated trying to do work internationally, um, particularly with the culture and the language um, nuances. So I had come back from that trip and the organization that we were working with, they were just starting to, to reach out to women in the red light. They were doing lots of other amazing things, this NGO. And so they were helping with like AIDS orphans and widows and um, kids and education and all this stuff. But they were just really starting to like put their toe in the water in terms of working, working with this population of women. So they didn't really have a lot going on. And the reason that we went there is because we had dedicated a freshwater well, and that well got put into this Red Life community. But beyond that, they didn't have a lot going on, so I had to come back and research. Okay, who who is working with this population of women? Who maybe, if further, you know, steps down the road? And so it was actually through um, through a connection at our church that they put me in touch. With this man who was doing incredible things in a different part of India that I hadn't been to out of um, Mumbai and his name is KK Devaraj and he was working with Bombay Team Challenge and still is and he's an amazing man and at the time um, I believe that Kofi Annan was the UN um, Secretary General and he was even on his council ar- around this issue because it clearly is a worldwide um, problem yeah. and so <clears throat> excuse me he's just World-class and so I reached out to to him to say hey, I hear that you're working with this population of people I'm really interested in helping um, Be part of the solution and this is kind of my idea. Is that interesting to you at all? Um, And if so, would you like to have a conversation and Much to my surprise and delight he got back to me and was like yes, that is actually really interesting Um, funny you should mention you're wanting to kind of do part of a business solution because we're really looking for partnerships, because you know, we're helping these women out of the brothels, but we're finding ourselves having a hard time when it comes to transition. How do they transition back into a normal life? What kind of job can we give them? Do we have to just support them like we do children's programs, $50 a month for the rest of their lives? Like what 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 are we doing here? And um and and so we partnered together early in those days to just say, okay, we, we don't have all the answers, but you know, how can we work together? So it was really, um, that's how we got started, through networking. What connections did I have in the U.S. that had connections to India? And then you know, and doing a lot of research on the internet as well.
0: Wow. Yeah, it's, like you said, being like a global company and working across the world, it must be a little... Scary at first, but you know, you made those connections. It's, I think it's, it's amazing. So so cool. Yeah,
2: Yeah, and and it's still scary. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like because I'm not um, Indian, although I'd like to think my heart is. (laughs) Um, And we have cultural blind spots. We just do, right? And so I, we definitely always have to rely on just trust and our partners and I, we've been burned. We've chosen some bad partners, like sewing fabric. You know, we, I've had fabric stolen. We've had, you know, just there's been lots of things over the years. Cause again, we've been in this space for some time. And so I still don't have it like wired, you know what I mean? There's still like things that I certainly don't know and cultural nuances that I don't understand, but being a curious lifelong learner kind of helps. Um, and just asking honest questions and being as honest and trustworthy and transparent as possible hopefully models that to folks in India for them to do the same. So yeah. it's um, it was a challenge then, and it's still a challenge, but, you know, in a good way.
0: Yeah. yeah, I love that, being a lifelong learner, you know. And I think a lot of people aren't doing that, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hopefully,
2: yeah, Hopefully we can sp- inspire a few more here to join <laughs> the room,
1: um, do you have any like specific stories around um your struggles? I mean, I know there's probably been a few, just a few.
2: Yeah, um, there are so many. <laughs>
1: um,
2: I'll give you just kind of maybe a tactical one and then maybe a little bit more of an emotional one, you know, okay. because it's, um <laughs> it can be Yeah, it can be tough emotionally working in a space that has so much injustice and around it too. But one, just technical, I just briefly mentioned, but our fabric was like held hostage and then basically was stolen. And it was like 60,000 US dollars worth of fabric, which was a lot. And this is when we were even just kind of... Um, not first starting out, but that was like a big amount of money in a fabric purchase. So it not only put us like that much money out, but then it put us behind in production because then we had to go and get more money for that. And then it you know it's production time, like 30 days or more to get these fabrics and to get them redone. Um, so that was devastating. And then um, kind of along with that, tangential to that, we had um, so an employee in India that kind of and and she was like a contractor. She really wasn't an employee. So she was an Indian national woman who worked in the garment industry that we were contracting to help um, with some of our production issues, like getting um, fabrics from the mills and stuff like that. So she wasn't really working with the women in the sewing part of it. She was kind of on the on the other end of procuring um, raw material. And, and then we had this other woman in, um, out of Costa Mesa who was, we thought was a, a really upstanding person, but anyway, they ended up partnering together and basically stealing our products, um, oh. and, and kind of copycatting. Yeah. What we were doing. Oh. Um, and even down to the name of like, we, we oh. named products after our women. So like our best selling, one of our best selling prints is Leela, And then lo and behold, we see, Indian pajamas that look exactly like ours, you know, um in terms of the cut and everything the prints were different But named Leela named oh all these God. things. And so it was just horrendous to be like God. How could it, And other women, you know, how could women be so evil? Um, when they know that like nobody's getting rich off of this. We're just trying to help other women and um, help women who have had a horrible situation in a very traumatic life and we're trying to help them out of that and these two women partnered up for to try and get rich and for their own personal gain it was just like unbelievable to me how
1: horrible. people can
2: do that yeah really bad so that 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 was hard both um, tactically kind of and emotionally just being like oh my gosh i'm feeling so betrayed you know yeah. um, when you're trying to do something good and someone just like rips the carpet out from under you it's horrible yeah and then on another side um That is more of a, just uh, not an injustice in that way, but just the reality of having to hear stories, real life stories of people who have just suffered what no human being should have to suffer, right? So children being born into the brothels, seeing that situation, um, and then growing up and knowing without intervention that that's their own fate, Um, having women who I had met in India by taking multiple trips to India, part of our sewing centers, one young woman dying of HIV, you know, dying of AIDS, full bone AIDS at that time at like 25 years old. Why? Because she'd grown up in the brothels and had to start doing this trade. Numerous STDs, condom use is not a cultural norm nor enforced. It's a very patriarchal society. So women can't really assert their own rights. And so, so many really hard issues. Mm. And knowing people that are just suffering, suffering a fate that no human being should have to, all at the hands of other evil acts by other human beings. You know, this isn't like a natural disaster that happened that put them in this situation. These are other people oppressing the poor and the vulnerable and the weak. And that can be a heavy weight um, and... I don't think about it and like cry every day, but there are some times where a personal story, like a young woman dying at 25 of full blown AIDS just hits me and I can't help, but you know, just be brought to my knees in tears. um, Yeah. Realizing that not just one, but there are lots of people, not just in India, but around the world who are, who are dealing with, um, with this really heavy injustice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's almost daunting. I, I we have um, we have a girl a uh, friend running our social media, and she wrote um, something about how daunting it can be. There's so many causes, and there's so many things going on in the world, and how daunting it can be. But really, at the same time, it can be power empowering because you're trying to make these changes too. So, um, uh, yeah. But on that note, so when you do get discouraged, when sixty thousand dollars worth of fabric gets stolen, or when you're hearing these awful stories about um, artisans dying. Um, how do you, how do you fight that? Like, how do you get out of that? Yeah,
2: it's a good question. I have a very deep personal faith. So, um, I, I go to prayer and to God and to meditation and to solitude. Um, I also go to nature, you know, I live in a beautiful spot in the world. And so the mountains and the trees and the trails and, um, and the, and the rivers and the lakes and the ocean, you know, all of that speak to me. Um, and so I really just have to sort of get out of my head, um, in those moments and just realize that like, I I don't want to, and I was never meant to carry the weight of the world. And so, you know, um, just reconnecting sort of with who I am and, and my place in the universe, um, and, and just praying that I'm, I'm practicing a certain amount of self care um, to not sort of get all of the secondary trauma, right, that you can get mm. when working in a space like this. So I, I just think it's really important to, for me, just to, you know, to have my Bible, to have a journal, um, to listen to beautiful music, to be outside in nature really grounds me, and then spending time with my family. Um, and all the blessings that I do have and not feeling guilty about those, but living in sort of a place of gratitude, mm-hmm. um, I think is the way that, you know, I can appreciate what I'm given without feeling guilty about it.
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I think that's so beautiful and something that we can all learn from, you know, that, that those are all things that we all should be doing, you know, taking a step back, not trying to force and get, get through or, hard days but t- trying to take a step back and really looking at self-care and, and that kind of stuff so yeah and
2: I'm, I'm not that good at it <laughs> I don't think any of us are I'm yet self-care but, self-care yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the self-care part it's like I'm trying but I'm so
1: good at it that's I'm just the best <laughs> awesome
2: <laughs> that's good. all I do <laughs> <laughs> I think problems arise from that right we we know people that that is probably all they do and that's right a different set of problems
1: <laughs> there's no action it's just all yeah, just right here <laughs> um but i feel like the the people that are drawn to this kind of work are really highly sensitive um, mm. souls and you know really heart-centered um people and i feel like that you know there's two sides of it. I mean, that's really great. And that makes it, you know, this is the work that we're all meant to do. But it's also can be tough times as far as um, you're dealing with really emotional things and real stuff that, you know, I'd say most of the population, um, especially in America, doesn't even know. You know, they don't even, they're not aware of what's going on. And, I feel like now I surround myself with more people that do because we're in this conversation. Um, but I sometimes I'm around a group a group of people and and they have no idea what I'm talking about. They're like, "What is fair trade? I've heard of that. I think."
2: <laughs> wow. They're like, "What planet do you live on?" Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I it's, this that actually came up the other day. Someone said, "Oh, well, what is fair? What do you mean fair trade jewelry? What does that mean?" And Ooh. so I just, I just. Really got very basic. <laughs> awesome. Well that's the a good the conversation. conversation.
2: Yeah. I'm yeah. glad that the person asked it, you know, which is awesome because maybe if there were other people, the whole group got to got to hear about it. I know, without being like condescending. I mean, my husband <laughs> and I just in the comfort of our own home can be a little bit cheeky, but you know that term like first world problems, right? So sometimes yeah. like people are complaining about, oh my gosh, their their vacation house, oh bummer, their flight on their wonderful trip to the Bahamas was a nightmare. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the things that are like, okay, and I found myself doing that too, right? You're like at an airport, you're frustrated. But then you have to take a step back and be like, okay, first world problems. I'm going on vacation to a beautiful place and spending like tons of money yeah. <laughs> to do so. Yeah. And you know, all I have to complain about is like the flight or that it's delayed or I missed it or whatever, you know. Yeah. Again, that's a first
0: world problem. Yeah. And I think I think on that on that is is always returning back to taking a step back and be like, wait a minute, you know, we can all get sucked into it, you know, when mm-hmm. days and things like that happen. But when we're like, okay, let's take a step back, we're at least conscious of what we're doing and saying and thinking not everyone is doing that. So. And it's nice yeah. to be
2: around, I think, Jen, to your point around a group that can support you in that, right? Because sometimes you it's hard to get out of our own head. So then if my husband or a friend can, in a gentle way, remind me. Oh, hey, really? Do we need to be stressing about this thing? Oh, okay, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> and then, even if I can't center myself, having those trusted relationships around that can kind of speak into my life and hold me accountable, mm-hmm. um, you know, to my values is really, I think, what life is all about. Those relationships where we're helping each other along the way. Like we're not meant to be a lone ranger and have it all figured out and do it perfect. Nobody likes perfect it's an illusion anyway, but being in a relationship, you know,
1: and having these conversations helps each of us get better.
0: Yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just thinking about, I know, I mean, you've said so many things about kind of why you're doing this work. Um, But if there was like one, if someone said, what is your why around, around your, you know, your work and, and everything you do on a daily basis, what would that be?
2: Um, You know, it's crystal clear for me, and it kind of sounds cliche, but I believe everyone was created um, in God's image for dignity, right? Like, period. Mm. So if everyone was created equally and and for dignity, then it's my responsibility to speak out for those who are not being treated that way by others, right? So whether that's, um, you know, someone... Uh, bullying a homeless guy on the side of the road, or systemic oppression in this way through sex trafficking. I mean, um, and we we can't do everything. So I sort of like got, um, you know, just touched and called to this specific issue. But really, it's like every person who's who's being unfairly treated by others and oppressed deserves someone to step in if they don't have a voice of their own and say, yeah, that's not okay. You
1: know. Oh, I love that. Yeah,
0: that's huge. Um, we think it's so important for our listeners to learn more about human trafficking just because it's not spoken about that much. What was the biggest thing you learned about or what is the biggest thing you were surprised to learn about when
2: you know, um, my husband and I'll give a quick shameless plug because for listeners who want to look him up, um, cause he deals with anti, um, you know, fighting sex trafficking here in the U S it's called the guardian group. Um, and it's a nonprofit. It's called the guardian group. And if you ever want to interview him, for sure, um, yeah, I'm sure he'd be up for it, but, um, I think what surprise me in looking at it as a global issue. So not just in India, but the reason I mentioned Guardian Group is because here in the U.S., and even though there are cultural nuances and maybe differences in why women get into it, um, at the end of the day, the people who are the enslavers, right, the traffickers and the pimps and the brothel owners and all of that, they're doing it for the money. So at the end of the day, it's organized crime all about the money. So call it the mafia, call it gangs, call it whatever you want. And all of those people are in it. Call it corrupt politicians, corrupt cops. Um, there's a lot of money to be had in selling sex. Um, and the horrible part about it is that's why they're doing it. <laughs> like they're, all, they're ruining people's lives for their own personal gain and for money. That to me is horrifying and shocking and like there are other ways you can earn money. (laughs) You don't have to like sell women and children in, into prostitution to do so. Um, But it's an easy buck. Yeah, it really is. And unlike drugs, you know, there's a war on drugs, right? So then there was like, Oh, drug sniffing dogs at the airports and uh, all these things at the borders. And that's important. And I'm, I don't want drugs in the U S either. Um, but you can put women across the borders. You can sell women. No one, There's no sex trafficking, sniffing dogs out there to bust you. And so the harsh reality is that these bad people um, are getting away with it. And it's going under the radar. Um, and they're, they're preying on vulnerable people who other people aren't looking out for. So in the U.S., they're preying on kids in the foster care system who don't have safe adults anyway, or they wouldn't be in that system. So they prey on them, yeah. right? And and there's sort of this like idea of these like quote you know disposable people, right? That yeah. can be just um, you know objectified and tortured, and the rest of us, unfortunately, sort of like turn a blind eye and go about our merry way. Yeah,
0: yeah. And getting um, just kind of now that I know all of this is happening, we kind of uh, you know watching TV shows. I'm starting to realize that. People do kind of like make jokes about like even like sweatshops and like, things like that, like, oh your clothes were made with sweatshops. Like it was um it was like a joke on on friends, like a, a episode like years, obviously, forever. Yeah. But um I was rewatching all of this episode sure. today, <laughs> and um and I was like it's it's so interesting that they kind of like make these jokes like they know that they're sweatshops or like, you know, like other things that mm-hmm. are horrible happening in the world, but like we know, but we're just not doing anything about it.
2: yeah, and this the culture really, to your point, um, makes light of it in a way that just isn't cool, right? Yeah. So like this whole like pimpo culture, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you're pimping it. Oh, pimp, my ride. But like that that's some like rock star superhero cool name. It's like, no, A pimp is a slaveholder and an oppressor. Do you think a plantation owner would be cool? To call like a, a slave owner, like, would you want to like be likened to that as a metaphor? No, but that's what a pimp is. A pimp is a slave owner yeah, um, and all of these things. And so when our culture and, and, and a lot of music, it's like, I like music, but music that objectifies women and some of like the gangster rap kind of stuff, and even not just rap, some of the hip hoppy stuff that talks about um, women and literally we'll be talking about this whole pimp. Um, thing like very explicitly and that we like celebrate that and put it on the radio and do all of this stuff it's like it's abhorrent you know it's just it's not okay and if we put it in terms of like slavery in our own country if we were to write songs about that and put it on the radio and celebrate it and dress up like a slave owner for Halloween because people dress up like pimps like would that be okay is that acceptable would all of us think that that's cool Yeah. But yet we're allowing that very same thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. There's no difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, to not, to not get too down. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there is a bright side. We can, we have power to change. (laughs) Exactly. Do you have, um, like a favorite artisan story to share?
2: Oh my gosh. There's so many, there's so many. And really, um, if you look on our website, all of our pants, at um, Sudara are named after women in our programs and they all have a story. So if you look on our product detail page, it'll tell the story of Leila, of Kaveri of Donna, you know, and, and they're all amazing and unique. So I don't know that I just, I have a favorite, um, but I will tell one. And this isn't, you so this is an artisan story um, that uh, I don't, I don't recall actually the woman's name, but um, our, our, So we work in partnership with Indian organizations, right? So we're here in the U.S., and and basically the way we um, can help with the problem is by getting products to market, getting customers, connecting the story to India. But we rely on our partners in India to actually be in the brothels. They speak the language. They know the culture to to let the women know that there's a better way, that there's a place, all of this. So anyway, one of our partnering organizations um, was – working with this woman who'd come out of the brothels and she had gone through the job training and then placement. So she had got a job placed in the city, um, in, I think it was like a candle making factory. And this was so touching. So her first paycheck, she came back and donated the entire paycheck back to this amazing organization. And she said, you know, thank you for the opportunity. And I want this to go to help more women like me.
0: Oh my god! And it was
2: like so incredible. So here she had nothing. She's still, you know, struggling. First paycheck, and and to just donate the hundred percent of it back. It was like oh so humbling and beautiful. And that's when you know that, like, wow, there is such power in in dignity and dignified work and giving people respect, and that they will go ahead and then pay it forward. You yes. know,
0: yes, incredible.
2: Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. And women helping women, right? Like, yeah. that's just great. Awesome. Um, do you have any stories of women? Kind of the biggest, I want to say change from when they started working with you or, um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think working. that there's
2: one um, that I've seen with my own eyes and I'm sure, again, our partners in India, they're the ones sort of like tracking more on a day to day basis. Cause I live here, but I have seen this like pretty much unequivocally across the board. So I've been in brothel situations, especially that first one that I was in when I was given like kind of the divine inspiration for this whole thing and pajamas specifically and all of that. And um, when you look at women, particularly women. I mean, children are pretty resilient. So once they get older, you start seeing more of the the weight of the burden, but they're, they're pretty like joyful and sparkly eyes and big smiles. And, but once you see the women and they've been through the ringer so many times, and they've just been abused and traumatized and beaten down, um, you know, the light in their eyes goes out. And so it was kind of like looking into a sea of these women on the outside that were beautiful. You know, they have pretty hair and they're wearing these beautiful saris or whatever. And and, and just the light in their eyes just being gone. It was almost like zombies, like looking at walking dead people, which is spooky and kind of crazy and very sad. Um, and and so like that's what I see a lot, like going into the brothels, a lot of that sort of like, um, yeah, like I think Shakespeare said the eyes are the, a window to the soul. You know what I mean? And, and seeing just all of the hurt and the trauma, like literally in, in their eyes. And then... You know, going to these centers where that same population of women are now living in community in a safe place. They're not being sexually traumatized every night. They have some nutritious food. They've been receiving some medical care. They're on the road to recovery. Like, are they there yet? No. They've had a lifetime of sexual trauma. It's going to take a whole lifetime to work through it. But they're physically out of that oppressive situation and on the path to recovery. The light in their eyes comes back. They're like, joyful and sparkly, and you would never just walking into that room be able to see what or know what their past was. Um, so that for me is really so gratifying. And I'm so thankful um, to see that, you know, as human beings, when it feels like we're up against the wall and, and between a rock and a hard place, you know, all the things that there, there are second, third, 57th, 122nd chances, <laughs> like life is not over when you're in that hard spot. Like there is, um, there is redemption, you know, and, and reconciliation and second chances are, are possible. That's been, um, you know, a story that I can see played out in lots of different ladies that I've seen in
0: India. That's cool. I love
2: that.
0: Um, what is your big vision for Sadar?
2: Just to help more women, just to help as many women and children as possible. I mean, it really is all about how do we work together as a community, not just suit our employees, but, um, you know, you guys, um, customers, like everyone. How do we work together, really, like Gandhi said, to be the change that we want to see in the world, right? What, I mean, it's become a little cliche, but it's very true. Like, how do we be the change? Well, we work together in collaboration and we say, this is wrong. We need to do it different. And then we come up with different alternative ways to do it. Um, just like we did. And again, we're not there and we're still living with a lot of, of things that we need to write. But, you know, when we saw the injustice of slavery here in our own country, at some point, we had to have the Emancipation Proclamation and say, this is not right. It doesn't matter if the U.S. economy is built on the backs of slaves, and, and by making it illegal, the economy will collapse and all the plantations, like, it doesn't matter. There's no justifiable reason um, to to say that that's okay to treat another human being that way, and so we need to make it right. Now, did we do it perfect? No, we're still living with things, and we still have a lot of work to do there because we didn't do it right. <laughs> Maybe we did one step, but then everything else sort of fell apart. <laughs>
0: um,
2: so it's the same thing. We have to work together, you know, and say like, "Hey, we can um, we we can stop this." So the vision for me is that we continue to collaborate and work together because Sudara is certainly no silver bullet. Like no one organization or one country or one government or one anything can can solve this problem. It's a collective problem um, that we need to solve. And quite honestly, it's hard to dictate morality because it's a moral problem when all of these people are buying sex, right? So we have to like address those issues as well. So if there wasn't a demand, there wouldn't be the supply.
0: Yep, absolutely. Mm. Um, I'm just curious, how many artisans um, are you guys working with right now?
2: You know, so it fluctuates depending on, like, the needs and the seasons. So we work with um, anywhere from, gosh, sometimes it's, if production is kind of low, maybe 25 to as much as at times it's been 250. Oh, so wow. it really depends on kind of the ebbs and flows and the needs. Um, mm-hmm. But the the part that is exciting is it's not just women um, sewing our pants that are the artisans we work with. So there's a much larger concentric ring around that. So our pants kick off revenue that helps subsidize job training creation outside of just sewing. Mm -hmm. So we work with partners in India. So one of our flagship partners, they train about 1200 women a year in different jobs. And then they have an 89% job placement rate. Wow. Um, so it's a much larger pool of people that we're working with. It's not just artisans making um, Sudara Punjamis.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, what projects are you looking forward to right now?
2: Oh my goodness. Um, gosh, there's so many. One is we really want to shift uh, some of our efforts on the sales side here to a more um, a more wholesale in boutiques kind of thing. And so taking our digital relationships and making them more face-to-face, right? So I think the pendulum is swinging a little bit where it's like, okay, how many real friends do I have? And have I given up on my real friends for my 300 Facebook friends that I never really see and touch and feel in person? And I think the same is true for like business, right? It was like, oh, we have all these online customers, great, but like we can never interact with them or they can never touch and feel the product. And so we really, um, want to make an effort to get more wholesale accounts and into boutiques. And so that people can touch and feel and interact in those, those, um, you know, shop owners become part of the story because they get excited about what's going on and, and, um, the people working at the shop get to interact with customers and tell them the story, whether they buy the product or not, it's like they get to represent their values. And so we're really wanting to, um, yeah, to go old school, maybe as they say (laughs) in that way and, um, and take some of the digital stuff more back into, into physical relationships.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel that too. Like that, that the pendulum is swinging. I like that term. Um, I feel that like people are taking it back a step back from social media and um, people in general like to feel the clothing anyways. So I think, um, I think that's, I'm seeing that as well.
2: Yeah. So we're excited about that. And with that, we're excited just kind of to um, potentially empower other women to be our sales rep force. So we're thinking um, you know, that we're going to be rolling that out pretty soon. And so instead of giving Facebook <laughs> and all these big companies money to, for our marketing dollars, like we'd rather um, you know, reallocate those funds um, to women and give them a commission to sell our products to boutiques wow. and other things. So then we can empower more women and there's more job creation happening even on this side of the ocean. So we're pretty excited about that yeah awesome
1: Mm -hmm. I think I think that's a really cool opportunity for women here and um, not just like fair trade boutiques but just clothing boutiques that can start maybe carrying a few lines that are ethically made and have stories to tell about it like we're really excited to also offer this
2: yeah exactly we we feel like there's a lot of untapped potential there and we're hoping that, you know, conscious consumerism can start becoming a little more mainstream to your point, not just, for yeah. Chinese, but like lots of places. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that, you know, we see that, oh, Walmart's carrying, you know, organic XYZ, right? right. Like that, that's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> I think they have a lot of work to do, but <laughs> that's a really, <laughs> that's a really good start.
1: Like, okay. <laughs> no.
2: Where some people who, that might be the only shop they have in their town. Let's talk about some right. rural American places. They don't have a Whole Foods. They don't have this or that, and they can't afford it. But they can start being exposed, um, you know, to brands that they maybe never would have in organic choices, be it in food or clothing or whatever. Um, yeah, face wash, makeup in these in these kind of places. So I'm really hoping um, that that it becomes less niched and more mainstream, particularly with the millennials. And then you know my kids are more like Gen Z. Um, that that will become more of the norm, that they're holding all parts of society, including corporate, responsible to do the right thing.
1: Yeah, I think that's definitely, definitely where we're headed. I don't know how much time we need for that, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to see some of that. <laughs> I do too.
2: Um. <laughs> I do too. I mean, it, you know, they say Rome wasn't built in a day and it's going to take a while to unwind all of the crazy things we've done to our planet. Yeah. Yeah, Um, But seeing progress
1: would be really great. Mm
2: -hmm. I feel like we're starting to see it already a little bit.
1: Totally. Um, So besides Sudara, where do you shop for ethically made products?
2: You know, it it tends to be a lot of online. I feel Mm -hmm. like because then you can um, trace the supply chain. So there are a few brands, you know, that are go-to that I like. Also, I think this is a really good option for people that they should consider is thrift stores. Um, so, putting less, um, you know, we don't all need new stuff all the time, and we can reuse and recycle and repurpose. So, that is probably the bigger part um, of my shopping is through either clothing swap trades or, um, you know, going to lots of different types of thrift stores in the community that can also help a non- your favorite nonprofit. Um, you know, all of that I think is a really important way just to keep things out of the landfill and not um, new, new consumption isn't a path forward when we have 7 billion people on the planet. Like you don't need new everything, you know, also Sudara products, even though you most likely have to buy those new, we made them really utility on purpose. And so finding other brands that are like that, where it's, um, you know, yes, they're pajamas, but yes, they're loungewear and you can wear them out. And we have little robes that, yes, they're a robe, but yes, they're coverups. And so you can wear them to the beach or on vacation or to the lake mm-hmm. or whatever. So finding products um, that are also like that, I think is, is really important um, too. But yeah, mostly online shopping and then
0: definitely the local thrift stores are fun. Yeah. Awesome. I I so you just mentioned oh. kids. Yeah. Um, can you tell us how old they are and how you are teaching them to be more ethical?
2: Yes. So they are, we have 12 year old twins, boy, girl, twins that are 12. So they're in junior high in the sixth grade. And then, um, the little one is a little girl who's, um, almost nine. She'll be nine this month and she's in the third grade. And so I think, you know, part of it is you just let kids be kids. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then in as much as they can understand in what's developmentally a- appropriate, you kind of like put stuff in. But a lot of it is just living in our home and seeing it modeled, right? Yeah. Oh. Um, but sometimes when my son, particularly, he's kind of like a germaphobe, he's like, I don't want to buy used clothes. I don't want to wear someone else's clothes, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I was like, huh? What do, what do you mean? Like we wash them. It's not like I'm telling you to like lick the bottom of someone's dirty shoe or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he just has this little thing. So it's like, okay, well, this is the deal. And so we'll talk about it, you know, and he's a little, he's 12. So we can like be a little more reasonable. And he didn't know that his whole life he's been wearing hand-downs or, you know, or <laughs> stuff. So I don't know like where this came from, but once you get to junior high, you have lots of opinions. Um And so then it's like, okay, well, here's your budget, you know, so you can buy these, these things, but you're going to get a lot less. So that's fine. I'm all for like consuming less and that's cool. And if you just want you know, five pairs of pants and five shirts, so that's fine. And, you know, some ethically ep- made things are going to cost a little more and here's this and that. And so then we just have the conversation, which is good because it leads to not only supply chain discussions and why it's important and tying it to like mom and dad's work around slavery and, you know, yeah. the whole thing. Um, but then it's also good budgeting, right? So then they get to realize <laughs> the realities of like, okay, you have a budget and a fixed budget and you have to live within your means and mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you extend yourself and put a bunch of stuff on credit cards or you know, whatever. So just because you want more than you can afford you know so um yeah it's it's just trying to be you know developmentally appropriate when we can and then there are times it's like okay he wants van shoes and I'm like I don't know now I have to look into the supply chain of vans I let him buy van shoes where are they made I'm not sure so we probably have to like look into that or whatever and <laughs> write them and, you know, express our concerns that we want them to be made in some way. So some things you just, you know, let kids be kids and let them buy their bad shoes. Yeah,
0: totally. But I love that too, because, you know, you're teaching things alongside and then, you know, I feel like it's almost easier to create good habits instead of like breaking bad habits, you know, like mm. some adults that I speak with in my store or, or, you know, we're not quite a brick and mortar, but you know, in my, in my booth, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, like it's, it's almost harder for them to conceptualize and break that bad habit than it is for someone young to create a good habit, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it's true. And I mean, at the end of the day, like it costs more, you know, so like ethically made clothing is more expensive. Why? Because the artisans aren't getting screwed. <laughs> yeah. So. It's like, I, I always have to connect the dots for adults and for my kids of, okay, so like this shirt, like you shouldn't be conditioned to think every shirt should cost like 10 bucks right. because it just shouldn't. I mean, the mm. fabric and the labor and this and that. So someone is getting screwed. Now, are you getting screwed paying 10 bucks? No. Is Target or Walmart or Gap or whatever getting screwed? No. So who is? Because there's no reason that this should be this cheap.
0: Exactly. Exactly. There's no reason. So
2: the planet's getting screwed because maybe they're using really cheap stuff and weird dyes and blah, blah, blah. And the people who are making it are getting screwed, but you're not. And the store you bought it from isn't. Two people are winning. Other people are losing. Like we got to stop doing that. We just cannot continue to do that um, for our planet and for our own souls and conscious. Like it doesn't work.
1: Yeah, definitely. And if there was something... If there was one thing that you could tell um, our audience that they could do to, you know, be more conscious um, when they're shopping, what would that be? I think it would be thinking about supply
2: chains. Like when things are literally too good to be true and too cheap, it's too good to be true and it's too cheap. (laughs) 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 You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's not rocket science. It really isn't. It's just inconvenient. And that's what people don't like. Yeah. It's just inconvenient to pay more. So it's like, and I'm also not advocating for living outside your budget or your means. Like sometimes it's not reasonable. I don't do all my shopping at Whole Foods. It's too expensive. I might buy some things there, but then I can't like Trader Joe's is a good option, you know, and they're like reasonably priced going and buying bulk bins, um, at, whatever, so that you reduce packaging and it's also less expensive. That's a really good option. Like stores that have bulk bins for pasta, for cereal, for granola, for whatever, Um, for nuts. Um, Also buying like local stuff, like at a CSA box of local produce. Um, We live in a place, thankfully here in Oregon, where there's like, we can buy local meats. So you can go in with your neighbors and buy a whole hog that's been ethically grown and raised without all the weird stuff as well as beef that way too, or chicken or fish or whatever. So again, it's not as convenient to running to XYZ big box store and doing all your stuff, but it's better and it's sustainable. And um, so I, I think that the advice I would give is stop, measuring everything by convenience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have to change your mindset because otherwise you won't change. If it's like, well, if it's not convenient, I'm not going to do it. It's like, okay, well, then you're never going to do it because it is less convenient. Yeah. Um, but it's better for you and it's better for your health too. Um, clothes and food that is good to people and nature is just better for you. It tastes better, all of it. Um, but you have to buy less probably right? Like maybe you can't afford to eat organic meat every night. Great. Maybe you should consume less meat and and have some really good healthy vegetarian options thrown in a few nights a week or whatever.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I think, um, you know, being conscious about what you're eating and fashion and everything is so tightly related and people are really starting to be conscious about their food and, you know, what's going into their bodies and things like that. And I think it's just, it's just the next step fashion, you know? Yeah,
2: I hope so. And I I really do. And again, at the end of the day, it really isn't rocket science. You know, like, you don't have to be a NASA engineer to figure out, like, how to, how to do this. Because <laughs> I'm certainly not that girl, like, right? Um, <laughs> you know, so it, it really is not rocket science. It's just it's just intentionality and priorities. And, and we live in like a fast food, ultra, everything fast, fast, fast speed. Um, and, and changing habits don't happen at that speed, right? So we just have to, it's like quitting smoking or getting a new exercise plan or whatever. It just takes time and effort and, um, and commitment at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Yeah. you know just to say like i i believe this and therefore i'm going to commit to doing it and i would also say for listeners it's not all or nothing right just like start doing something something's better than nothing just start buying organic and fair trade coffee start there
0: yeah, yeah. like
2: that's a really important habit right like chocolate is mostly picked by young child slaves on the ivory coast of africa like don't just buy random chocolate bar at the checkout at the grocery store, like go to where you have to spend three bucks for like a big, good chocolate bar. Do that. (laughs) And and it's there. And most just grocery stores have that as an
1: option now,
2: right? It's not right at the checkout and it's not a buck 29. You might have to pay two
1: 99 or whatever, but it's good. (laughs) That's so so funny. (laughs) It just reminds me of a story. I was in the grocery store the other day and I uh, bought um, Tony's chocolate Oh, my God. Love it. <laughs> so it. I'm obsessed. Nice. Um, a little more than two ninety nine, but that's okay. I'm, it, it's amazing. And the lady in the checkout looked at me and she said, is this for cooking? Is this for baking? Because it was so big. And right. I, said, I said, oh, no, no, no. That's for you. And so she was intrigued to find out what this was because she had never seen it before. And they had just recently started carrying it. And so I engaged in a conversation about chocolate and how it's made. And and the lady behind us was like, oh, wow. And she's like, well, thanks for telling us. Now we're going to have to go get some. And that's not in our diet. And I'm like, but you feel better when you eat it. So it doesn't, you know, you don't gain any weight. That's that's, the mentality. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: how I buy chocolate. Yeah, and it's
2: all, like, with the chocolate thing, it really is all about the dollars, right? So, like, Hershey's and all these other companies, if people stopped buying their products, I guarantee you they would switch to fair trade chocolate. Because they're not going to just be like, okay, I guess we're, like, we built this huge candy empire. We're just going to all give it up. No, they would figure if there's money, like, people are suddenly not buying this, but crap, they're buying that. We're going to figure out how to make that, too, so they'll buy our version of it. Yeah. So, like, We've, I've had to tell my kids, and again, it's not that I don't let them eat any of the random chocolate at Halloween, <laughs> but I won't buy it to hand out. So it's like when I'm going to buy it, it's like, okay, well, I guess, you know, Swedish fish it is. That's what we're handing out at our house or lollipops or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to buy it in mass quantity and and keep supporting this industry that I don't agree with. Right. And so we're sometimes as weird people. Now, I'm not going to be weird <laughs> enough. I'm at a neighbor's or we're camping and a neighbor offers us a s'more with the Hershey bar. I'm not like, no, we can't eat it. But if I'm, if I'm making the s'mores, I'm buying the chocolate and the little squares of like the fair trade chocolate. And that's what they're eating on their s'mores or whatever, you know? Yeah. So again, it's not like we have to be all or nothing about it, but when we can do it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's exactly it. It's one, one small step at a time, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Life's too overwhelming. And I certainly don't have, you know, everything in my closet, fair trade, this and that. Like I can't, but as we buy new stuff, then it's like, okay, let's be intentional about that stuff. Mm. And when we give gifts, you know, when we give gifts to kids' birthday parties. Mm-hmm. Like we can be intentional. We can buy a little fair trade t-shirt or whatever and give as the gift. And the parents always appreciate it a heck of a lot more than another just piece of plastic or <laughs> whatever.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Toy.
2: Oh yeah.
1: So where can everyone find you and follow you and social yeah, media or so, wherever? Um, yeah. So at Sudara Goods is
2: for um, Twitter and Instagram. And then we're on Facebook. So you could like us there for sure. Sudara. Um, and then Sudara.org, Sudara, sudar A.org. That's where you can buy goods, learn more about what we're doing. We have, you know, an about page. We have an impact report that we published because, again, as a benefit corporation, that's super important to us. So you can check that out. Awesome. Um, yeah, but we would love for you to kind of engage in, in what we're doing. And, um, and then, you know, tell us about other brands. Like we love it when um, customers or listeners will – you know send us an email at our info account info at sudara.org and be like oh hey i love what you're doing blah 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 or hey did you know about um this amazing company like you mentioned you know and i these are my favorite new fair trade jeans or something it's mm. like oh cool we want to know that um so that's a great way to share back to us like what you're learning and finding about in your universe because we clearly um you know have a lot of learning to do ourselves
0: Here at the Philosophy podcast, we recognize that we do not live in a bubble. We are all connected. There are people behind every product we shop for, and we can influence their lives when we vote with our dollar. If you like this episode, take a screenshot and share it on your social media. When you do, you'll be entered to win a giveaway that we will do live on Instagram once a month. Tag us and follow us at the Philosophy podcast. Good luck.